God's word with you. We're in the book of Proverbs and uh, looking at wisdom. And uh, this last week, uh, maybe Friday afternoon, I was, I was drawn or reminded of a passage in the book of James. James chapter 3 that talks about wisdom and contrasts wisdom that's from above and wisdom that's from below. And it says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual. By that it means not from the spirit. And demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We want this wisdom that comes down from above, right? We don't want, we don't want nothing to do with the, the earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. This kind of wisdom that comes from above comes from a transformed heart. God grants it to us. God imparts it to us through his spirit and his word, and it comes into a transformed heart from a heart that's been made new, and from a heart that's being renewed day by day by the Spirit of God. And you can see that. This wisdom is described as pure and peaceable, gentle. This, this wisdom is reasonable. How about that? It's reasonable. And it's full of mercy and full of good fruit. And this relates to what Proverbs 4.23 says. This verse, I think, covers something of utmost importance uh, there are some truths in the Bible that I would describe as totalizing truths, all-encompassing truths. It gets to the heart of the matter. And although it's good to talk about the details, it's also good to come back to these totalizing truths. I think it's helpful, it's needful to do that from time to time. And this verse has one of those truths. It's a profound truth. It's not hard to understand, but it is profound. And, uh, and it is all-encompassing. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it, that is from your heart, flow the springs of life. Think of the things that you guard with jealousy. Think of the things that you or other people keep a real close watch on. Some... It's their bodies, okay? I go to the gym a few times a week, usually first thing in the morning. Must be when all the big studly men go because there's a lot of guys that are a lot stronger than me and a lot of guys that like to check themselves out as they're lifting. For some, it's their bodies. For others, it's their diets, right? Making sure they get the right amount of protein and green veggies and carbs and all of that. It's got to be precise, for some, it's their property, their home, their 
finely manicured lawn that just is perfect. For others, it's their financial portfolio or their financial goals, keeping a very close watch on that. For others, it's sports or academics or work, climbing the corporate ladder or bettering yourself in your place of work. For others, it is, oh my goodness, politics, keeping a close watch on the political scene. For others, it's even something as, you know, not that important as a sports team. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. They all have their right place. We ought to take care of our bodies and our homes, and, and uh, polit- politics matter. Certainly our work matters. There's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves, but here's the question I want to know. How is your heart? How's your heart? Are you guarding your heart? Are you keeping watch over your soul? Are you diligent, as diligent, or more diligent in watching over your heart and guarding your heart and keeping your heart as you are these other activities? We ought to be much more engaged in that. This is one of the, or maybe the, great work of the Christian life. Of course, the heart here is not talking about the cardiovascular muscle that pumps blood throughout the body. We ought to watch that too, I suppose. But this is talking, it's a metaphor that speaks of the inner man, the mind, the will, the emotions. Some have called the heart the command and control center of you. And I think this verse actually makes that pretty clear. You know, it's, 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 it can be easy for us, especially, you know, those of us that we go to church often, we are, we would call ourselves Christians, we kind of are adept to Christianese and the Christian culture, just to go through the motions. And Jesus addressed that with the Pharisees when he said, uh, you give lip service, with your lips you praise me, but your hearts are far from me. So how's your heart? Are you watching over it? Are you diligent to keep it? So let's jump into this verse. And I, I pray the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and revelation this morning. So this, this verse is pretty straightforward. First, we hear a command. The command is to keep the heart. Second, we hear the way in which the command is to be carried out. Keep the heart with all vigilance. And then third, we see the reason given for such a command. We're to keep the heart with all vigilance because from the heart flow all the springs of life. So first, the command, keep the heart. Keep the heart. Now this presupposes something, this assumes something pretty important that I think we need to recognize. It presupposes or assumes regeneration or the new birth okay it assumes this is talking about someone who has a new heart this is talking about someone who has been born again one cannot keep the heart if the only heart he has is the dead one he was born with that's the heart that needs to be taken out that's the heart that needs to be exchanged for a new one 
one must be born again and given a new heart before he or she can keep the heart. The prophets in the Old Testament prophesied of this. Jeremiah, Ezekiel prophesied of the new covenant and all the blessings of the new covenant. Perhaps my favorite is the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36. And here's what he said. Now notice, listen for the words, a new heart. This is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you. God says, I will give you a new heart. Now, there might be someone here today, and I just want to speak directly to you, although I don't know who you are, but there might be someone here today, and that's exactly what you need. You need a new heart. You don't just need to try to do better. You need a new heart. Perhaps you walked in here and the only heart you have, speaking metaphorically, okay, is the stony heart you were born with. Stony heart, right? What's, what's a heart of stone? A heart of stone is a hard heart that's unresponsive to God. And that's the heart that needs to be taken out and I'm praying that God would do it today. But for those who are born again, you have received a new heart. And then, with that heart, you are commanded to keep it. John Flavel, who was a Puritan, and I'm gonna, you're going to hear, hear from John a few times today. He's no longer alive, but he still speaks to me. I have a book written by him called Keeping the Heart. It's on this verse. He said this. He said, The greatest difficulty in conversion is winning the heart to God. The greatest difficulty after conversion is keeping the heart with God. God has done the great work of winning our hearts to him. Now we are to be constantly about the business of keeping our hearts with him. Now, some might be thinking that's unnecessary. You might be thinking, well, God wins the heart, and he will keep the heart without any of our effort. But I would suggest, and I think that you know this from experience, that we have lots of things pulling us in different directions. Every day, the world, the flesh, the devil, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all these things pulling at us all throughout the day. And if we are not actively rebelling and resisting those things, we will get carried along with them. So, it truly is a serious and sober and glorious and high calling to keep the heart with God. And I think not only from this verse, Proverbs 4.23, but also from many, many other verses, a myriad of verses, Old and New Testament, we are called to this kind of work. Keep the heart. I think there are two errors Christians can fall into when it comes to the heart and our understanding of the heart as Christians. One error is the idea that now, we have a new, now that we have a new heart, 
and the Spirit indwells us, can't we just follow the Spirit and go wherever He leads us, you know, kind of blow with the wind of the Spirit, as it were? I would say, well, yes and no. Of course, the Spirit indwells us. We want to follow Him. We want Him to lead us. We want Him to guide us, all of that. The danger is when we make the serious mistake of thinking that means that we turn inward and uncritically follow the, all the inclinations and promptings and hunches of our hearts. That can lead to serious error and it needs to be corrected. On the other hand, the other error that we can make is to absolutize a verse like Jeremiah 17.9. You guys know Jeremiah 17.9? When I say it, you probably will. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, can our hearts deceive us? Of course. <laughs> We've all experienced that. If you said, I've never, my heart's never deceived me, you're not telling the truth. Our hearts can deceive us. But if you've been born again, you truly have received a new heart. So Jeremiah 17.9 is not the total truth about you. And for those who have experienced a new birth, something deep and profound has happened, right? right? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, whoever is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And it's when you realize this, it's when you realize, I have received a new heart. God has made me a new person. I've been reconciled to God. He's done this profound work of grace in my heart that you are enabled and strengthened by his spirit and by his grace to keep the heart. In a way, it's kind of like abiding in Christ. John 15, Jesus talks about him being the vine, we're the branches, and and he exhorts us and commands us to abide in him. Abiding assumes that you are already in him. That you are a branch connected to the vine. And to abide means to remain. It means to stay connected. It means to stay connected to the vine from where all of your nourishment, all of your strength and life comes. So the command is to keep the heart, which means you have a new heart in Christ. And so it means to keep the heart with Christ, in communion with him. And so... What manner, in what manner do we keep the heart? This kind of ups the ante, okay? Kind of goes from the, the theoretical down to the nitty-gritty. How do we keep the heart? With all vigilance. With all vigilance. Keep the heart with all vigilance. Now, the way this verse is constructed in the Hebrews, fascinating. It literally says this, keep the heart with all all keeping. The word vigilance is the same word as keep. Same word group, okay? Keep the heart with all keeping or keep keeping the heart. Needs to set double guards over your heart. The force of this command is not merely saying keep the heart, but keep the heart with all vigilance or keep Keeping the heart, it implies that we are called to great 
effort in this. This is our duty. We are not told. Don't worry about the heart. God's got this. That's not what we're told. No, keep the heart with all vigilance. Keep the heart with all keeping. This is serious and it is difficult and it is sometimes painful work. John Flavel, again, you're going to hear from him at least one more time, I think. He said this, heart work is hard work indeed. To shuffle over religious duties with a loose and heedless spirit will cost you no great pains. But to set yourself before the Lord and to tie up loose ends and vain thoughts to a constant and serious attendance upon the Lord, this will cost you something. This is what it is to keep the heart. We don't do it haphazardly and with a heedless spirit, but we tie up those loose and vain thoughts and we set our affections upon the Lord. This, again, is one, maybe the one great business of the Christian life. This is our duty, and though it is our duty, and it is, it is not done in our power, but it's done by God's power. Keeping the heart is hard work that we do in the Lord's strength. It is not as though we grit our teeth and pull, our, pull up our bootstraps and dig our heels in and work in our own strength. No. We work to keep our hearts in the strength of God's immeasurable grace. Or put another way, we keep our hearts by faith. You guys know Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith, right? All these men and women who did great things by faith, some conquered kingdoms, women received their dead back to life, some were tortured and sawn in two by faith, and last Saturday morning we went through the story of Noah, and so we looked at Hebrews 11 briefly. Noah, what did he do? He built the ark by faith. Did that mean he really didn't do it? No, he did. It took him 80 or 90 or 100 years to do it. But he did it by faith. He did it with the help and strength that God richly provided to him. So we really are to roll up our sleeves and keep the heart with all vigilance, but we're to do it by faith in God's strength and his help. The Apostle Paul gives, I think, a, a, a very helpful statement uh, of this hard work and God's grace converging in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, when he said, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He's talking about the other apostles. I worked harder than all of them. Peter, John, all of them. I worked harder than all of them, though it was not I but the grace of God in me. Brothers and sisters, the command to keep the heart with all vigilance calls us to this task of working hard like Paul did, but working hard 
with all of God's divine energy and strength that he gives us to carry it out. Unfortunately, far too many cannot be bothered to do this. Too busy to keep the heart. Too busy with work or activities or hobbies or this or that to keep the heart. And for them, there is a grave danger in the end that they'll be found to be a mere professor of Christ and not a possessor of Christ. There's a grave danger in neglecting the heart. Listen to Hebrews 3, verses 12 to 14. Take care, brothers. He's talking to Christians. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So keep the heart with all vigilance. Keep it near to God. Now I think, when I was thinking about this this week, Thursday, I think it was Thursday, when a couple of metaphors came to mind about what this might look like. And um, the first one is that keeping the heart is like setting guards at the gates of a mighty fortress. Keeping the heart is like that. The guards are well-equipped and cautious about what is let in, who is let in, right? And who gets out? The fortress is the heart, and we need to be careful about what we let in to our hearts. Job said that he was making a covenant with his eyes, to not look at worthless things. Psalm 101, 3, David says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. David also says, well, David may have written Psalm 119. Psalm 119, the psalmist says, turns that into a prayer. This ought to be our prayer. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Those are, I've heard some people say the eye gates, right? Same thing with the ears, the things we listen to, the things that we let in. I know some people go overboard with this, like don't, you, you must not own a TV or anything. I'm not going there. But listen, we have to understand that the things we look at, absorb, listen to, does affect us. It absolutely does. I know this from personal experience. I don't need to point the finger at you. I know this very well. Okay? I, I can go, okay, I'm just, confession time. I can go overboard on political stuff. And I know that when I'm listening to lots and lots of commentary on how bad things are, And this and that and the other thing, it affects my heart. My heart gets twisted. It just does. 
And when we endlessly watch sitcoms or sports or whatever it is, it affects us. When we listen to certain things, it affects us. It does. Uh, the obvious things are things like pornography and right, right, uh, heavy metal, satanic music. Okay, well, that's the obvious stuff. But it's the other things too. It does affect us. And so, we want to guard what we look at, what we watch, what we listen to, because it can and often does affect our hearts. And think about how positively this works. How many times have we come into church feeling a little dull? Okay, it's okay to admit that. I'm probably not the only one that that's happened to. Okay, the pastor's admitting that, okay? Um, and then we begin singing praises to our king. It does something to our souls. The other metaphor that I thought of is like keeping a garden. A good gardener, and I don't claim to be one, although I'm working on it. A good gardener makes sure that his garden is in a spot that gets plenty of sun, He makes sure that it's watered, and what's really important is he makes sure that the weeds are picked. And that's one I don't do very good. Okay, it's fun for me to go out in the yard with Grayson in the evening and water the garden, because he thinks that's fun. Um, And it is where it is. I'm not moving it, so it's getting as much sun as it's going to get. But I don't like going out and picking weeds. But that's what we've got to do. The metaphor with our hearts. And think of when sin gets a hold of us and it goes unchecked, it goes neglected, and those roots grow deep. In my landscaping area, I swear, what, ter- what, what I thought was just a little weed has turned into a tree. I try to dig those things out. It is like, anyways. Um, but that's what happens. So keep a close watch on your heart. Guard your heart. Watch your heart with all vigilance. A neglected heart is like a garden overrun by weeds. And it chokes out the things that you and I want to see growing in our lives. When the sin of envy or lust or greed or laziness is allowed to grow in our hearts, it will choke out the graces that the Spirit desires to produce in our lives of gratitude and joy and holiness. And of course, it chokes out the vitality of our communion with God. It does. And so, We must keep our hearts with all vigilance. We must keep with all keeping. The reason for this. So the command, keep the heart. The the way in which we're to keep it with all vigilance or with all keeping. And then the reason. The reason for from it, from the heart, flow all the springs of life. This is a great motive. (laughs) I mean, if if this doesn't motivate us to keep the heart, then as Christians, 
nothing else will. Right? Why keep the heart? Why bother? Why put forth the effort? Because from the heart flow all the springs of life. The heart, this inner man, the seat of the will and the mind and the emotions, the command and control center of you, that's where all of life flows from. And so if it's neglected, guess what's going to happen to the other areas of life that spring from the heart? This is so crucial. Listen again to John Flavel. He said, The heart is the source of all vital operations. It is the spring and original both of good and evil as the spring in a watch that sets all the wheels in motion. The heart contrives and the members execute. Okay, The heart contrives the members, your hands, your ears, your eyes, your feet. They execute what your heart contrives. That's how it works. That's why this matters so much. This is not original with John Flavel, of course. He's merely echoing the words of Christ. Here's what Jesus said. Either, Matthew 12, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. He's talking to the Pharisees, so he says, You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So keeping the heart is, listen, it's not, it's not mainly just so you can have nice, quiet times with God, okay? So that, you know, your private relationship with God is good. It is that, but it's more than that. It's not mainly so you can have good devotional times in the morning or evening or whenever you do that. All of that's great. But from the heart flow all the springs of life. The heart that is kept with God will affect all the other areas of life for good. And the heart that is neglected will affect every other area of life for bad. It's gravely concerning when people talk about how great their walk is with God when their life is a mess. And I'm not saying trial. I'm not saying going through trials or suffering or even that we stumble into sin. But when when somebody's life is a mess and they're talking about how great their relationship with God is, something's off there. Because from the heart flow all the springs of life. From the heart that is kept with God, all sorts of evidence of life will spring forth. It will affect your speech. How you speak to your spouse, your children, kids, how you speak to your parents and your siblings and your friends and your teachers at school, 
Many of you, that's your parents too, right? Um, it will affect your speech. It will affect your work. It will affect how you parent. It will affect your relationship with your spouse, your husband or your wife. It will affect your relationship with your friends, with your kids, with your parents. It will affect how you spend your time, how you spend your money. It will affect your outlook on life. It will, it will affect your outlook on the future. It will affect how much stock you put into politics. It's not unimportant, but it's not life. It will affect how you worship. It will affect your faithful commitment to God, to his word, obedience to God. It will affect your faithful commitment to God's people. It will affect all these things and many, many more things because from the heart flow all the springs of life. So there's this one passage where Jesus gets, he's like really serious. And this fits in with this Proverbs 4.23, by the way. But where Jesus said, he's like, take sin seriously in your life. You guys know the passage where Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It would be better to enter life with only one hand than to be cast into hell with both of them. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It'd be better to go into, be better to enter eternal life with one eye than to be thrown into hell with both working eyes. We understand this is hyperbole, don't we? Of course. And we understand that because the problem is not ultimately the eye or the hand. It's the heart. It's the heart that needs to be cut out and a new one given. And praise his name, he's done that. And with that new heart, we are to keep the heart. It's from the heart that comes murderous thoughts and adulterous thoughts and jealousy and covetousness. From the heart flow all the springs of life. And so it's important to guard the heart like armed soldiers guarding the gates of a fortress. Keeping certain things out. You know, when I was, when I was a teenager, you know, it was always, uh, got pounded into me by people at church and, you know, don't listen to bad music. It's bad. It's bad, it's bad, it's bad. Now they probably said more than that. But it just always seemed like, okay, bad music. It's kind of a downer. Like, don't do that. But it's so that we experience life. It's so that our hearts are kept with God and we commune with God that we keep certain things out. It's important. It's also important that we keep the heart like a garden, pulling weeds out that threaten the good plants, the grace that God wants to grow in our lives. But that's not enough. It's not enough just to say, keep certain things out, pull the weeds out. We need more than that. Brothers and sisters, the best way to keep the heart with God is to keep the heart full of God and his truth and love for his truth. If your heart is full of God and full of his truth and you are yielded to him and his will, your heart 
will be kept with him. There's an interesting connection, at least in my mind, between what we see here in Proverbs 4.23 and what Jesus said in John chapter 7. John 7, 37 and 38, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now verse 39 says, This he said of the Holy Spirit, who had not yet been given because Christ had not been glorified yet. Christ has been glorified. He has given us his spirit. The spirit has been given to us. But here's the question I ask, right? It's out of the heart that flow rivers of living water. When the spirit of God is filling our hearts, that is what happens. Out of our hearts flow rivers of living water. Is your heart full of the spirit? And I don't mean, did, have you had an experience with the Holy Spirit at some time in the past? I mean, is your heart full of the Spirit? It's not a one-off thing. Paul talks not merely about being filled with the Spirit, but about being continually filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 Paul says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And literally, it is be continually filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit. Keep being filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord with thanksgiving. Is your heart full of the Spirit? Is your heart full of him? You know, I, I, think, this, I think it was with the youth group kids one night I was talking with them and um, I said, you know, if you had a visitor in your home and they were loud and boisterous and they, they, you, know, you would know that they're there. If the Holy Spirit is filling your heart, trust me, you would know it. You would know it. We would know if, if he's filling us, if we're full of him. We see throughout the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, of course, but then even later, Acts chapter four, it says the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were gathered to pray and they were all filled with the Spirit. So are you full? Is your heart full of the Spirit of God? And to be filled with the Spirit will lead to a love for his truth. Of course, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. And so to be filled with the Spirit will inevitably lead to a heart full of love for the truth and increasingly full of truth. And actually, I love the connection between Ephesians 5.18 and Colossians 3.17. Ephesians 5.18, remember, says, don't get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Colossians 3.17 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There is a connection between being filled with the Spirit and the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. 
and when the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly, we set our mind on things above. Have you ever just taken a verse and either you meant to do it, it was on purpose, or maybe accidentally the Holy Spirit, God, just kept it on your mind all day. Has that ever happened to you? Okay. And so your mind is like set on things above. Does that help? It helps, doesn't it? So it's not just a matter of keeping certain things out of your heart. You also want your heart to be well fed and nourished on this rich spiritual diet of truth. So keep the heart. Do so with all Vigilance, set guards at the gates of your heart. Be diligent to pull up the weeds of sin quickly. Don't let those roots grow. Pull them up quickly. Repent. Confess your sin. Make sure to keep your heart full of God and His truth. And be zealous in this. Right? Vigilance, diligence. Be zealous in this because from the heart flow all the springs of life. It's not enough just to pretty up the outside. We've got to go to the heart, right? We, wanna, we want this wisdom that's imparted from above from a transformed heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.